Welcome to the Behind the Bliss podcast, where Mary Scott Mercer and Rachel Autry bring weekly conversations to encourage, inspire, storytell, and share. Each episode is designed for you to feel met in your mess and balanced in your bliss. Here's today's conversation. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Behind the Bliss. My name is Rachel. And I'm Mary Scott. We are so thrilled about today's guest, Jordan Lee Dooley. Jordan is an amazing woman who we love championing on and cheering her on in all that she has. She's a super multi-passionate woman. So she started an Etsy shop. She is an author, speaker, writer. She also has her own podcast and just released a national bestseller, Own Your Everyday. Overcome the pressure to prove and show up for what you are made to do. I don't know about you guys, but if you feel like you have multiple passions, you're not sure you're loving your nine to five job, and you feel like there's more going on inside of you than maybe you know how to put into practice, this book and this episode is for you. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Jordan Lee Dooley. Today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Karama. We are huge fans of Karama. They are a fashion brand on mission to restore dignity around the world through creative, purposeful work for artisans. If you follow Rachel on Instagram, you may have seen her sporting their leather goods like backpacks, bags, and clutches. They also have the most beautiful and simple jewelry pieces that are meaningful all at the same time. These products are handmade with dignity in East Africa and Haiti. Dignified work means that artisans are receiving fair wages for their work, have safe and fair labor conditions, and will have steady jobs to support themselves and their families. Creating a way for women to have dignified work prevents poverty, trafficking, and prostitution while simultaneously giving them a way to provide for their families and have work that they can be proud of. All profits are reinvested back into the communities their artisans live and work in, and also sending kids in Africa and Haiti to Young Life Camp. If you want to learn more about Karama and all of the work that they are doing to create dignified jobs for women in East Africa and Haiti, you can visit karamacollection.com or we will make sure to post all of their information in our show notes today. Hey, Jordan. Nice to have you on Behind the Bliss. We are stoked for today's conversation. Hey, y'all. Thank you guys so much for having me. I've loved even just the few minutes of getting to know you and do all the real talk before hitting record. So (laughs) I'm pumped to be here. (laughs) Yeah, you know the drill. Absolutely. You have so much going on. So first, we wanted to thank you for being here. Second, we wanted to brag on you for a second. In case anyone doesn't know who Jordan is, quick little snippet. You are a podcaster. You are now a best-selling author. You have a fun, multi-passionate career that you've been working (laughs) on and stewarding really well. But we want to hear from you. If someone were to ask, who is Jordan Lee Dooley, what would you say? Oh my goodness. I always love this question. I, you know, made up a job title for myself because I just felt like I didn't fit in a box. I'm like, I don't really know how to describe that. What is it? You have to share it. Yes. So I call myself a multi-passionate authorpreneur, which is like the combination of the word author and entrepreneur because I (laughs) I'm very creative. um, And I think over the last, you know, handful of years, I've tried a variety of different things, everything from starting with an Etsy store to 
to blogging, to opening a clothing shop, to coaching women, to photography, to writing books, to speaking, to podcasting. It's like, let's just check everything off the list. (laughs) So, you know, I've really spent the last, I would say, six months as we prepared to launch my book and really zero in on like what's resonating there. I kind of felt like that was going to be a shifting point for me, like a pivot point, Um, but I needed to get to that point first. So now that the book has been out, I feel like I'm in a season of just streamlining. Like I've dabbled in a variety of different things. And um, I really feel like I used to feel very ashamed of that part of my story. I was like, I look like I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, go figure. I don't, you know, but I've kind of learned to own that and to put that story out there because I think a lot of creative women, whether they're, you know, building small businesses, building a ministry, writing books, like if you have any kind of multi-passionate, ambitious part of you, I think that's pretty common. And I didn't realize that. Um, So it's been really fun to start putting that story out there more and kind of owning it and beginning to really zero in on where's my focus and where are we going and kind of begin to implement that more this summer, learning to let things go so new things can grow very intentionally um, is is a lesson I'm learning and getting to share that with my community has been a process, but that's a little bit about me and uh, (laughs) my very interesting career path. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You're talking to the right people. (laughs) Yes. I was going to say, Rachel and I were saying before we had you on the show that we don't think there's probably another woman that's more perfect for this podcast because... You know, Rachel and I both have like multiple jobs. This is like a passion project turned into a full-time job that we weren't necessarily expecting. Like all the things were the same age. And we just, we can't tell you how much your book, especially, you know, chapters like the imposter syndrome and all these things, like how deeply they resonate with us. Because I cannot tell you the amount of anxiety I feel in my heart when someone says to me, hey, I haven't seen you in a few years. What are you up to? And I'm like, uh, uh, like I have no idea what to say. And so I'm just, I cannot thank you enough for this. And it's perfect timing for us. So can you kind of take us back to kind of your journey in entrepreneurship, but also, um, you know, your heartbeat and what you hope readers get out of Own Your Everyday? Absolutely. Yeah. I I will try to give you the SparkNotes version so we don't have to be here for seven hours. Um, (laughs) I started my kind of, I guess, entrepreneurial adventure um, back when I was actually finishing college. I was a student at Indiana University. I was in um, a sorority, AOPI was my sorority. And um, I was one of those people. I'm an Enneagram 3. I'm an achiever. I don't know if you guys know your Enneagram types, but I am very much like on to the next thing. I'm a three. (laughs) Okay. So you get it. Everything must be like just, you know, um, it's like, if you're not going to win, why do you play is kind of how my mind is, which is uh, not so good sometimes. But anyway, reading my mail. (laughs) So I think because of that, you know, when it came to school, and when it came to achievements, academic achievements, etc, etc, I really pushed myself really hard to the point of burnout, which has been the story in my business too. It's fine. Um, But during those years, I had started to date my now husband. um, And he was a college athlete, he played football, a D1 football and was a full time student. So you know, he had a really rigorous schedule. And so he took up guitar, he taught himself to play guitar, which is honestly kind of impressive. I think that's hilarious that he just taught himself guitar. Um, (laughs) But you know, he taught himself something that was like a creative outlet for him. And so as we were dating a little bit longer and kind of finishing up school, 
he noticed, he's like, Jay, you work so hard and I feel like you need a creative outlet. And right around the time that had happened was when, you know, I was talking with my mom because I started to rethink my entire life, getting toward the end of school and thinking, I don't want to work in health administration. Like that's what I had studied. And I went and, you know, started interviewing for jobs and whatnot and felt like, uh, I don't think this is my lane. Like this feels not me. And now I'm stuck because it's too late. I've already studied this, you know, that whole thing. Long story short, she basically, my my mom's advice was like, hey, okay, don't put the pressure on yourself. Just try some stuff. And I thought that was the worst advice ever at first. I'm like, try some stuff. Don't you realize I have to eat (laughs) and feed myself in the next like 11 months, you know? Um, But anyways, she really, she really gave me, she really gave me the freedom, I think, to explore. She's like, look, I'm not saying drop out of school or like, don't take a job. But I think you feel the like anxiety about it because you haven't given yourself any room to play, to dream, to remember what you loved to do when you were five, Mm -hmm. you know, like you played make-believe, you wrote short stories, you were teaching others, um, mostly my stuffed animals, but that's fine. Um, You know, and so she, she, she really gave me that advice and that encouragement. And then right around that time, my, my boyfriend, now husband, um, he was like, you know, you're really good at like handwriting and stuff. I would like hand letter Bible verses or notes from biology class or just things I wanted to remember. And I was hand lettering them because it made it more memorable to me. And so he's like, you know, you should start an Etsy store or something. And me being a very naturally entrepreneurial person, like I was raised by two entrepreneurs. I was helping run my parents' ex, like they had a side business of gumballs like we would literally go to restaurants and clean out the gumball machines that they owned and then like my brother and I would get to keep the quarters like that was my first entrepreneurial adventure that is amazing Uh, yeah (laughs) so you know it was like kind of in my blood like it was a very natural thing for me to be like yeah I'll try an Etsy store why not so that's kind of how it that was how my trajectory started and then over time you know I would have friends in my sorority help me with the Etsy store and that really built kind of a passion for community and building like a community-based business. Um, and then that eventually kind of snowballed into blogging. And then I started a photography business because I couldn't keep the shop open anymore once I graduated. Cause I'm like, great, now I don't have a bunch of free labor. All my sisters are, you know, working real jobs and can't help me. And so I had to kind of think of an alternative for a while. So blogged, did photography, um, really, you know, was trying to be intentional, but really didn't know exactly what lane I wanted to run. And so I just tried a bunch. And that was, you know, I ran a photography business for a year, my husband was trying to get back into the NFL, he had pursued the NFL for a little while. So we were kind of in a just really crazy season for a couple years. And um, then I created some online programs for a little while, and then decided, I don't know if that's quite right, but it was fun to try. So that's been something we've kind of phased out of. Um, And then really pivoting, I think, over the years to that was what led to eventually, you know, I had built an online community kind of on accident. And as I realized that was possible, I found the actual right strategies to do that and um, just continue to do it. We eventually brought a little bit of a shop back online and sold sweatshirts with a tagline on them that people really loved and kind of had like a little bit of a shop again and wrote my book. (laughs) And uh, the last couple (laughs) years have been spent, you know, learning, you know, I I launched a podcast and just kind of all, all the experiences that I had those first like three and a half years or so kind of dabbling in a variety of different things really gave me a passion and a not even a passion. I think I'm very multi-passionate, but it really has started to 
all make sense because mm-hmm. in trying all those things and realizing what's, you know, and being willing to educate myself, learning what strategies work and what doesn't and how to really build buy-in online and how to market in a way that's, um, you know, not scammy or weird, but in a way that's really like human to human and really solving problems for mm. people has become very much like a genius zone of mine. And I love getting to coach other women and kind of strategize that and write. So that's why I kind of call myself a multi-passionate yeah. entrepreneur. I think, you know, all the multiple passions that I've dabbled in, I really oh, I don't have to make a job out of all of those, but I can take what I've learned through dabbling in all this to help other women who are multi-passionate, trying to find their lane, struggling through the same story I struggled with for those, you know, five last five years really, and begin to help them make action plans and maybe save themselves some time and headache (laughs) feeling like, oh, I'm trying this now I'm closing it, you know? Um, So that's really kind of what it's evolved into. And to just touch on your question about own your everyday, I think I really wanted to create a resource that served a woman who's chasing after something more, even Mm -hmm. if she's not entirely sure what that something more is Mm -hmm. while also finding contentment where she is with what she has. Because I feel like we get one of two messages. It's either like, don't be content with your life, chase all the dreams. Don't stop till you get to the top. Or it's like, be still and be content. And me as an achiever, I'm like, okay, I got to do something, but I can't do it with the pressure to prove myself or I burn myself out. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. Oh, this is all so good. A hundred percent agreeing with you. I know that both of us are just like nodding our heads as you're speaking. Yes, we were we were the people you needed to write the book for. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So it was just for Rachel and Mary Scott, then you win. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, as I'm listening to you, I'm hearing you say like multi-passionate and that's something that I think has been just to be completely vulnerable, almost like a struggle for Mary Scott and I in the podcast and our personal lives and our own dreams and ambitions because it looks flaky. Like it looks like you're yeah. not quite sure what the hecky you're about to do with your life when in reality, <laughs> it's just kind of stewarding all these gifts and dreams and visions that the Lord is giving you. Mm. And so I think that this book, one, is so beautiful because you're releasing the freedom to girls to just figure it out. Like just do what you're loving, doing like what you feel like the Lord's called you to do, whether it's with your hands or with your heart or maybe both. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just, it's freeing. But also... I just feel like it, it also releases this freedom to girls who might be just super scared to make the jump because I think that there's this huge um, fear of failure. Mm-hmm. I actually heard something recently that was failure isn't the opposite of success. It's just a part of it. Mm-hmm. And kind of redefining the word failure from being like, you've got to stop, you're done, mm-hmm. start over. It's actually, a, okay, nope, we're just getting back up and moving forward. Mm-hmm. So for the girl who maybe is afraid of the jump or is afraid of just starting and stewarding that next step, not even like the destination or the end goal, just next step. What would you say to her? Not push her off a ledge. What's the right <laughs> word? Like to kind of give her the the kick in the booty she kind of needs, like you say, just to kind of go for it. Yeah. Two things. One would be, I think a lot of people tell us like expect failure, like failure is a part of the journey. Failure is a part of success. And that makes so much sense. And it's super encouraging. And I think it's also a little bit defeating if we aren't prepared for it. So I often talk about like, man, we're always told to Mm -hmm. expect failure, but rarely are we equipped with like, how the heck am I going to handle it? Because I need to know what's going to happen. It's like if the weatherman, I wrote this in my book, it's like, that'd be like if I'm watching TV and the weatherman's like, 
hey girl, um, there's a blizzard coming for your house. It's going to hit in about an hour. Good luck. And I was like, oh my gosh, a blizzard's going to come. I'm expecting it. I'm waiting. And I'm just standing there in my shorts, right? Like, no, what do I do when a blizzard's coming? I I salt my, well, I don't salt my driveway. I asked my husband to salt my driveway. Let's be real. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But you know, I have my hand in it and I turn my heat up and, you know, I go to the store maybe to get some things to make sure that we are stocked in case we get snowed in. So knowing that that potential challenge or obstacle is going to affect my life for at least a small amount of time, I can take action for how I'm going to prepare for it. So this is something my husband's a lot better at. But I think when it comes to like, my mom is actually my mom and my husband have been big influences in my life and my career because they're much more calm than I am. I'm much more like, Oh my gosh, everything's falling and we're all gonna die. Like, I just freak out. And so they've really helped me when it comes to mindset with that. Even my mom, I mean, she was an engineer. And so she gave me a really helpful way to prepare for failure. A, it's remember that you're just testing and proving. It's like if you're testing a machine, the first time the machine's probably not going to work like when you first build it, right? It's going to have a glitch or it's going to have something. So what's, Mm. what's your, what's your response to failure mode? So for example, understanding how you actually respond to failure or how you make decisions is one of the best mechanisms you can have for preparing for a potential failure that could occur on you know, like in the next step or in the next two steps. And so my, it's funny because I actually took this little test that my mom runs in with the work that she does, but it was very helpful for me to be more self-aware. Um, it's kind of like the Enneagram of failure. It's a really cool concept and she uses it for professional athletes and it's really awesome. But anyways, all that to say, there's three, there's three series that you do in this test. And I learned that I am a two, six, two, which means in my first try, I got to, I, I basically, the lower the score, the better it is. So if you get down to a one, that's like winning, that's the best. If you get to two, it's pretty good, et cetera, et cetera, all the way up to nine. So my first time I did this, the test, I got a two. The second try, I got six. And then the third try, I got two, which is really interesting because basically what that showed is at first I kind of just like, own it. Like I'm okay. I'm stable. And then all of a sudden I drop. Then usually after I have my drop, like my kind of my freak Mm. out, I come back to being kind of stable and steady. And that's the same way I make decisions. I make a decision confidently. Then all of a sudden I overthink it and I stress out and I worry about it. And I don't, you know, I I question it. (laughs) And then after like a day of overthinking it, I'm like, Oh, you know what? No, that was probably a pretty good decision. Did it with my wedding dress. Did it with my wedding venue. I've done it with my businesses. Like it's just how my brain operates. So I think asking, even if you don't have that specific test, asking people in your life, how do I fail? Like when you've walked through a failure with me or when you've walked through, you know, I don't even like the word failure, but when I've walked through, you know, a disappointment or a setback, how do I respond naturally? And it's better to ask other people. Like I had an objective test show me, but people in your life can also objectively answer like, Hey, you just kind of go into your shell and you kind of like put your walls up or you hesitate to try again, or just figuring out how you risk or how you react can then help you prepare for how to better respond. So I think self-awareness is huge. Um, And then another thing that I would say when it comes to failure is really, again, it comes back to shifting your mindset on it. A little bit like you said, I was recently at a conference and a guy guy named James Wedmore, he's kind of in the business space. He's amazing. He shared this quote and he said, failure isn't actually a tangible thing that you can hold. Um, It's really more of a belief and it really all is about how you look at it. So if you take action, you're going to get one of two outcomes. You're going to get either the outcome you wanted or the lesson you needed. And so I've really started to look at like, for example, like this morning, I literally, yes, like we had a, a tech issue this morning. And I, because of that, 
a really important event didn't get put on my calendar. It was a live event. Therefore, I missed said live event, which really made me look bad and was very stressful. And um, it was something completely out of my control. But the reality is I didn't see it on the calendar, so I didn't go and um, got a call. And that, to me, felt like a huge shot to my pride. It felt like a huge failure. Like, how could I have let this happen? Um, and then my husband and I were on the phone and he's like, Jay, this is a lesson. Like, this is a lesson that we need to change our calendar system. We need a more mm. robust system. So I'm like, he's like, at least this wasn't like something, you know, massive. It was important, but it could be, it could be, you know, fixed kind of thing. So anyways, all that to say, it's really shifting. Like, okay, I did not get the outcome I wanted, which would have been everything going smoothly, but I did get the lesson I needed. And that's that we need to make some changes to our systems. And maybe that's going to benefit us in the long haul anyway. Yeah, you go girl. What I see in you, Jordan, and hopefully this is some encouragement for you. I see a spirit of like David, like David and Goliath, Hmm. where he was really afraid of um, like the disqualification of not being invited to the war to fight the Philistines, Mm. right? And he eventually was like, you know what? No, I'm going to go. So he acted like a two. And then he went and he saw what he was going up against. Maybe he failed or he was getting made fun of. So he kind of turned into a six, like, oh, Oh no, what did I sign up for? But then he went after it like a two and realized it only really took a rock to defeat his Goliath. Mm. Like it was a lot Mm. less than what he had expected of himself. And he defeated Goliath. He became king. Like he became well loved and known. And I don't know, I'd see that in your life of like you are defeating, whether it's a small, like a small little hindrance or leading other people to freedom through just owning their every day. Mm. So as cheesy as it sounds, but like you, you are like <laughs> you are throwing a rock at what people think is this huge, big idea and saying, no, but actually, mm. actually you just need a rock. Yeah. You don't need a sword yeah. or a sling. You know, mm-hmm. you, you got it. You mm. got it. So that, that's so good. a spirit that's really hard to carry and you do it really well. That's so encouraging, honestly, because my biggest thing is like, I really do believe in women having big dreams and going after big goals. But I kind of got tired about this message of like, massive action all the time. And it's like, holy cow, you know, I'm like, maybe if we just learned how to break things down into small steps, and really stopped overwhelming ourselves and acting like we needed to figure it out in the next 30 seconds. I think as much as that may not be the intention, I think that's sometimes the pressure we can feel when we hear those messages. And I'm like, how can we still encourage women to believe in big things being possible and being, you know, to tackle their big goals or the big Goliath is, you know, or Goliath, I can't even say his word, his name. Um, But (laughs) how can we, how can we, how can we give women the tools to take incremental action steps that actually move the needle? Because that's so much more, it may not, you may not see a result as quickly, but you're going to see a much more lasting result and probably a much more eternal and impactful result. Absolutely. So it's just kind of my mindset. So that's really encouraging mm-hmm. to hear that you see that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Something we say on the podcast all the time is that we just have to get out of our own way. And I feel like the system that you just explained was that like, we believe mm-hmm. we can do it. We get in our way. And then we have to get out of our own way. Mm-hmm. So it's so true. Um, yeah. Well, the story you tell in the book and what you briefly touched on already about your, the conversation you had with your mom, um, I think women can hear what you said or what your mom said. And she's like, okay, Jordan, create space for your dreams. And mm-hmm. the important thing that she said to you was that you can't stop what you're doing. And I think a lot of people find themselves in two camps. They're mm-hmm. so worried about – um, 
you know, their college degree or making money or whatever and being successful financially that they have no room for the dream or they're Mm -hmm. such dreamers that they think that they can't work until that dream comes to them. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to know, like, what is a practical advice for the woman who might be sitting in a nine to five cubicle who's like, I want to do what so-and-so does or I have this dream, but I don't know how to find space or I don't know how to find time or I'm so tired. Like, what is the message of not sitting around and waiting for God to just open the door and being obedient Mm -hmm. in small steps, but also being patient. Like how do we steward those dreams when it may not look like we have any white space? Yeah. Okay. So a couple things. One, one thing I can say is I often have to ask myself because I think we have to remember we do have control of a lot of things and that doesn't mean we have control of our entire lives, but I do think like we can control what white space we create. Now that doesn't mean that you might be able to create an entire week of white space and leave your job. I think sometimes we get into this like dream mentality or this like I think we get kind of like drunk on motivation and we're like, cool, I'm just going to do it. (laughs) And it's like, cool. And then you leave and then you're stressed out and then you're not actually doing it well because you're trying to figure out how to feed yourself. So let's not do that. Um, But let's also take steps of faith. And so one thing that I have to ask myself often is what do I need to let go and what do I want to grow? Now, of course, if you're miserable in your job and you really want to do what so-and-so is doing, you have to remember that what you're looking at, what so-and-so is doing is they're probably on step like, L or M and you're at A, right? Like they're at point L and you're at point A. So you have to look at and think what they do to get from A to B. Because I think we often think like A to B is really, you know, just one thing to another, but there's actually a Mm. ton of small things in between. So for me, for Mm -hmm. example, um, you know, I think there is a point where you do have to kind of call your shot and go, okay, I got to like actually go for this and let go of the job or whatever. But there are smaller things you can let go to begin with. Maybe that's your extra commitment on Wednesday night, right? Maybe that's, you know, all the coffee dates you're going on with friends or catching up. Maybe that's the extra play date. Maybe, I don't know exactly what that is for you. Um, Maybe it's your yoga membership or something that's like, Maybe you really don't need that or to be spending the money and or time specifically in that space because you like, where can you clear or what can you shift? It's kind of like playing Tetris on your calendar. It's like, okay, (laughs) I know that I want to make space to take one small step. And if I really love the idea of, you know, owning a small shop or, you know, um, doing graphic design, then maybe what I should do is black out two hours on a Thursday evening, instead of this commitment, I'm going to let that go so that I can start to grow this. Then as that grows, you're going to have to find other ways to, you know, block out that time. But you don't have to necessarily leave the job to go pursue it. If you have no clientele, no real plan, you know, no kind of like, you know, streams of that's okay. Like, I think sometimes we think that's not a step of faith if we're not going for it 100%. And I just call that, I just call that a huge lie. Um, I think anytime that you are getting a little bit outside your comfort zone and making a little bit of room for something, even if it's only an hour a week, as long as you're not like scrolling Instagram during that hour and you're zeroed in, like, I think we Mm -hmm. forget how much time we actually have because we waste a lot of time without even realizing it. Um, So just to start with one hour and say every hour for the next eight weeks, I'm going to do something that moves the needle and it really helps to map it out. I'm at point A and by the time I get to point B, which would be maybe having a website, right? Or maybe just having the legal side of what I'd like to do with the business or a ministry or whatever um, figured out. And I want to do that by 
eight weeks from now, then you work backwards and you create five to six or five to eight milestones, mini milestones along the way and say, okay, in the the hour that I blocked out every Thursday of the week, this is what I'm going to do week one. This is what I'm going to do week two. This is what I'm going to do week three. And by week eight, you're going to go, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. I have a thing established. Like might not be making money yet or it might not have inventory yet, but I have done actually a lot of work and you prove to yourself that it's possible. And I think there's a lot of um, power in that, that we often discredit because it doesn't seem big or elite or fancy. But it's powerful because you've just moved the needle from point A to point B, and now you can go to point C. So I think just that one hour can be really helpful. Which is what us threes need to hear. Like, it's okay if it's not going to be elite. It just needs to be, you know, just a little bit of progress. Because I'm like, if I don't see end game, forget it. Which then leads me to burnout and all the things. So, Right. Oh, I... 100%. Totally, totally. I mean, to be honest, I often look back because that's very much how I am. But when I look back at the season where I was starting my Etsy store, like it wasn't like I was running a full time Etsy store in the first month. I was still going to school full time. I think I was still working a job part time. I was either about to get engaged or just gotten engaged. So I was planning for the next season of life. And um, I wasn't able to just, you know, have a full blown production and get things printed. Like all those things came later. And that was still all just the beginning of my journey. But in the very, very beginning, you know what I did? I took like an hour on Saturday and went to a Hobby Lobby and got some canvases wow, wow, and wow. some paint. And that's how I started. And then I posted a few things on my on my Facebook, a few sorority sisters, moms bought it. And love it. that was really the very beginning. Like that was so small. And then it sparked a little bit more. And then I started a little blog and then a little bit more, you know, so it really starts super small. I love that. I love it so much. Part of what we were talking about earlier, which I wanted to kind of revisit was this idea of the drunken motivation, which I think you've coined this term really well because there has been like so much I don't know, emphasis on hustle, 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 and like, get it done. And you got it, girl. You just, you got to go after whatever you want and like, don't look back. But I feel like it almost puts this pressure on you that for me, and I mean, maybe as you as an achiever can understand, but like we were talking about earlier, if it's something that I don't think is obtainable, forget about it. It's not worth my time or my to-do list. Right. You know, so I feel like um, there are some girls out here that need to hear like drunken motivation is not healthy. Like what would you say to those girls that kind of feel like they're entangled in this whole in this whole mess? Yeah, I think motivation has a place for sure. Like that's I'm a motivator by nature. Like I am a cheerleader. I am the person to be like, "Come on, get up, let's do it." You know, so I think there's definitely a place for it, but I think where I say the term drunk on motivation is when we're almost depending on motivation to move the needle rather than meaningfulness to mm-hmm. move the needle. Yeah. Like, what's the true mission? Like, what's the mission here? Like when we're mission-minded and we know our why, mm-hmm. not only like the why of our life. Like for me, the deepest why of my life is like love God and love people. It's very simple. Mm -hmm. Then it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. now how does that transcend when it comes to my social life? What does that look like when I'm using social media? What does it look like when I'm marketing? What does that look like when I'm building a business? Okay, for building a business, maybe it's equipping others with the tools to build a livelihood, right? Like there's a really awesome... Mm satisfaction and joy that comes with that. But maybe with my friends, it's more like showing up for them in this way or that way. And so learning how your deepest why can start driving the things that you do want to see success in your relationships, your business, your career, your goals, like those are all good things to strive for. And so it's more of just like, what's the, is it a healthy motivation or meaningfulness that's driving this? Or is it just this idea of like, 
empty achievement, like to say that like, once I cross that finish line, I'll be confident, I'll be complete, I'll be successful. Like once I get that feature, once I get that book deal, once I get that salary raise, like we'll be good. And I think we begin to associate um, success with certain milestones. And to some degree, that's true. I think that's kind of how our brains operate. But I think in doing so, we have to consistently just do like heart checks and mind checks. Like, is meaning and mission ultimately driving me? Like, am I doing this from a place of like actually making a difference in the world? Or is it all just like, look at me, you know, I got this and mm-hmm. I'm going to just go for it till I literally, like, I think the hustle mentality is somewhat un- unhealthy. Um, not that there aren't seasons of hustle, but I just know that that as an ongoing thing can really become a way of life for so many of us in our busy, loud, exhausting world. And so yeah, I, I always just say like, are you... Are you prioritizing motivation and are you depending on that? Are you really allowing yourself to be driven by the meaning or the purpose behind what you're doing? And I think when you're operating from purpose, it kind of takes the pressure of like performing out of it. Yeah. It's kind of like the difference of happiness and joy, really. It's like happiness is whenever you like feel great and you're having a great day and all the things are going great for you. And then joy is that deep rooted, subtle confidence Mm -hmm. that everything is in control. And it's kind of the same. It's like, motivation but also like the purpose behind it so I think that is an incredible Mm -hmm. barometer for girls or or just anyone who's just trying to figure it out also another thing in your book that just struck me that I thought was so cool was the whole chapter about overcoming shame by sharing Mm -hmm. I think it was so fun to read because that's our heart behind the bliss is and this podcast is um just sharing where you've been, knowing that there's someone that's going to respond with me too. And it's going to be a powerful moment whenever you see that there's actually a community of people that is waiting for you to share whatever you have Mm. to share. And then at one point you shared some practical steps that helped make the leap to vulnerability. And and one of them was setting goals and boundaries. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful too, because I feel like we are so we as in you and I and all the other threes (laughs) in the world are so preoccupied with like reaching our next goal that we forget to like, how can I safeguard my heart? How can I safeguard my purpose? How can I filter my people to make sure that I'm setting boundaries Mm -hmm. around this, not to keep like the good stuff in and like to hoard all of it, but to keep the things that don't belong Mm -hmm. out. You know, there's two groups of people, Mm -hmm. right? There's the consumers and there's the producers. And we have both of those, I feel like in, in each category, sort of listening and tuning into our podcast. So mm-hmm. how would you speak to both groups in kind of creating boundaries and almost protecting their goal or their heart or whatever to kind of keep that next step, mm-hmm. but also make sure that they're safeguarding the things that maybe the Lord's whispered to them, whether it's a dream, a goal, or just mm-hmm. confidence and making sure they're not, you know, reading a counterfeit which is so easy to do when you're scrolling. Mm -hmm. So I think the best thing that I like kind of what you're sharing of boundaries. So when it comes to what you're producing and or what you're contributing or going after or, you know, chasing, whether it's a dream or a certain goal in your life, um, I think I just always suggest putting somewhat of a parameter on that because I've had personal experiences where, especially being an achiever, but I think just also in our culture, you know, like really going after a goal, like I wanted to run a half marathon and I started training for that. Well, then I started to get obsessed with like, oh, I'm getting more lean and I'm losing weight and I need to get better shape anyway. And so then I became very obsessed with numbers and calories and all these things that really I didn't need to be obsessed with at all. And it was like a way to control something in my life. And I almost became so obsessed with the goal that the goal itself of simply running the half marathon and, you know, getting in shape that took over my life. Like I could hardly go out to dinner with people because I was afraid I wouldn't have, you know, they wouldn't have something 
uh, healthy enough on the menu or I didn't want to eat again because I'd already eaten once that day. Like it was just controlling my life. And I think sometimes when we're so tunnel vision on a goal, like there's, there's, you know, an element of like being focused on a goal. And then there's another thing of being obsessed with a goal and letting the goal own you Mm -hmm. versus owning it. (laughs) So I often say like when, when you're, when you're producing something or trying to contribute or, you know, go after a goal, I often say just like, what's a boundary you can put on that? Like for me, it would have been really helpful to have a running buddy or someone to hold me accountable not to run more than five days a week so that I could let my body recover, right? And to make sure I was fueling it properly. But instead, I kind of like isolated myself and I pretended I didn't have a problem. And I was like, no, 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 like I'm just getting in shape. It's all good. And no one really was allowed in my circle to really see how I was actually taking care of myself, which was not very well. Um, So you know, I think having a little bit of a boundary or some sort of like accountability or checkpoint on as you pursue the goal helps you from getting totally obsessed with the goal and missing life along the way. And then on the flip side, I think when it comes to consuming, I mean, we also are a world full of consumers. Um, and I think I often have to remind myself, like, am I doing more consuming than contributing right That's now? So because good. I really believe that the people who contribute um, are the ones who change the world. And so when I think of even tools like social media, I call it a tool, not a thing. Like it's not just an app. I think it's a tool. Um, and so when I catch myself spending too much time on that, I kind of have to reevaluate and be like, Hmm, why do I use this again? So having kind of like a why behind everything that we do, like working out social media, marriage, dating, like friendship, business, like those kind of things I think help me realign so that when I begin to consume too much, I'm able to go, wait a second, am I here to like compare myself to strangers on the internet and like get a ton of ideas? Or am I here to market, educate, and maybe learn something. And so if I start to feel like it's tipping into more consumption than contribution, I kind of have to catch myself on that, but I wouldn't be able to if I didn't have something grounding me to come back to and drive all that I'm doing. Does that make sense? Yes, a thousand percent. Absolutely. And I think too, with that comes having the community to keep you accountable and maybe even talking through those things and your why and your purpose before even going into like your, I don't know, session just of scrolling or whatever. I think that's important with any boundaries in life, whether it's social media or relationships Mm -hmm. or like your free time. It's like, how do I choose to spend this? And almost being intentional rather than just passive, which is so hard for me. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's a great tool of of a way to think about it is what is it that I'm going to contribute or what is something I'm going to learn or what do I want to leave this time Mm -hmm. spending doing X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. I think that's a good, a good, yeah, litmus test of figuring out, am I doing this right or wrong? Because yeah, totally. I feel like social media definitely is something everyone's on. But it's like I said earlier, it's still very a wild, wild west thing. Mm -hmm. Like everyone's just kind of trying to figure it out. Everyone's experimenting a little bit, figuring out what works and what doesn't. And as soon as you figure it out, it's probably going to change. So I don't know. It's just totally. Totally. (laughs) So you kind of have to have a deeper rooted Mm -hmm. Y with a capital W, you know, before going into this or you're Mm going to feel so drained. Mm -hmm. I know that from experience. So true. With the whole book tour and book writing and publishing and all the fun things, what's something about yourself that maybe you didn't know before that you're learning through this process? Speaking of learning of things, I'm super curious. Yes. Yes. Okay. Two things. One, I learned that I don't know how to pronounce the word smorgasbord. I used to call it smorgasbord. That's how I was saying that word. I wrote the word. Like I wrote the word. And then when we were recording my audiobook, I kept saying smorgasbord. Like I added all this smush to it. And they were like, hey, um, you're not saying it 
right? So anyways, I learned that about myself. Um, <laughs> something That's more, cool. I guess, uh, meaning, meaningful than that would be, um, I really, I think, have really started to zero in on my actual genius zone. And I learned the difference between a genius zone and a passion, which is huge. Um, I, being multi-passionate, have tried to chase all my passions. I want to write books. I want to have a podcast. I want to have a clothing store. I want to photograph. I want to do this. I want to do that. Um, and I've gotten to a point in my life where like, I've been married several years now. We are now, my husband works with me full time. So we were like, we can't just keep this up as if it's a hobby anymore. Like this really does need to be a sustainable business. And it was so weird to me how I was so good at coaching other women with their businesses, helping them create strategy and like find their lane, build out their products, like be very intentional with it. But then when I looked at my own stuff, I felt like I couldn't pick from one of the things I was doing. And that's really like, I was at a mastermind and one of the speakers said, don't run your business like a family farm. And that was right before book tour. And then what was so interesting is on book tour, um, I really had a lot of feedback and Matt and I were on book tour together. And so he and I kind of got to align our visions and um, really, I guess, observe and really pay attention to, I mean, so many women came up to me with business cards or, you know, websites or items they had made and things that they had done saying like, you gave me the courage to start this and just start small. And now it's like starting to feed my family or things like that. And that just like lit a fire in me in a way that nothing else has. Um, and it brought full clarity to me where I thought it's so weird that I can't figure out my genius zone because I'm so multi-passionate, but, and I'm, but at the same time, I'm so good at helping other people find their genius zones. And then it clicked for me like, Oh, yeah. that is my genius zone. <laughs> that is my thing. That is my lane. And I'm really good at helping other people make a strategy and I have the tools to do it and it works for others. And maybe that's why I felt so held back in my own process. And so going on book tour, ironically, gave me more clarity of not only what I'm good at, but how to own that and to see the effects it's had on people without even me necessarily intentionally putting that out there. So it was really life-giving to help me gain a sense of focus and to align with my husband. And he and I see like, okay, this is the lane we need to run in because it comes most naturally to me. It really moves the needle in people's lives. And there's a lot of power in that and it's working. And we didn't even, we weren't even really trying to do that. So he and I going together and identifying that and seeing those things really has helped us start to put our heads together and think like, what are we going to run in and how are we going to find our focus without me necessarily having to give up all the things I like, but maybe just not try to make businesses out of all of them. Maybe not try to have ministries out of all of them and just kind of be like, you can just love these things and it's okay. So it's been really life-giving and freeing and helpful when it comes to focus, because when some and reads your, you know, 50,000 of your words and so many take away such similar concepts. It's like, okay, that gives me really clear direction on where we need to go and how to really streamline everything. So it's been really encouraging. I love that. Well, we are so proud of you and have loved kind of taking a back seat and seeing all the things that you're doing. And there's enough gospel to go around. So to see someone else doing their thing yes. and being a sister and championing others is something that like, I think as sisters, we just need to be like, yes, girl, you've got this. You can do it. Clapping, cheering on the Mm -hmm. sidelines and just Uh, know that that's us for you. Well, thank you. And you guys too. (laughs) You guys too. You're doing amazing. Thank you. You're so sweet. Kind of want to switch gears and kind of hear about what you might be loving right now, what you might be reading and just anything that you can't get enough of right now. Hmm. That's such a good question. Okay. So couple, I guess the best thing that I've been into recently is I've been using Primally Pure Natural Deodorant. It took me like eight years, I feel like, to find a good natural deodorant. Charcoal or blue tansy? Both. Both. One's if you're working out and one's (laughs) 
<laughs> I use the blue tansy for like normal daily life, and then I use the charcoal for where, like when I'm working out or it's going to be really hot or I'm going right, for a walk or exactly. something. But it's like the best. <laughs> we are obsessed too. Mary Scott and I talk about it all the time, so it's going to be funny. People hear it this once again. They're going to be like, "Okay, I get it." We'll link it in our show notes because we. I love the blue tansy. So does she. She mm-hmm. also loves the charcoal. This stuff actually works. I feel like a lot of natural deodorants, you don't really it works. feel like it actually smells good and doesn't really help that much, or it kind of does. Yeah. But no, it's probably the best I've experienced, <laughs> at least in all my trials. So I was about to say, and even traveling a ton. So if it works for that, it will work for most of us. Yes. <laughs> well, Jordan, seriously, everything that you have to share, I think is spot on for not only our audience, but for Mary Scott and I both. So I think we're leaving with tons of tools uh, and resources you. and and just feeling really loved on, but also pumped up, which is a really hard balance and a really hard tango to dance. So congratulations for doing it well. We're excited for you and your podcast and your book and all the things. So we're just cheering you on, sister. And for anyone who may not be following you already, where can they find you online? Absolutely. Well, thank you having for having me on. And all y'all can find me on Instagram at Jordan Lee Dooley. And also my website is jordanleedooley.com. And that's where the book is and all the other things. So super simple. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. I mean, wow. I, I have to just say that this book, this message, this episode with Jordan was so encouraging to me. I think I personally find myself getting a little bit nervous and a little bit anxious when people ask me what I'm doing with my life, yeah. what I'm doing every day. And it just, I don't know. She gave us so much freedom. I'm just so thankful for the freedom she offers women in this book. And we hope that you felt so encouraged by her message. We linked Jordan, her book, all the things she's got going on, and yes, the Primally Pure Deodorant, all in our show notes at BehindTheBlissPodcast.com. If you're new to this community, welcome. We are so thankful that you're here. We, in fact, want to encourage you to go on iTunes and leave us a quick review to tell us what you're thinking about our show. You can rate us on a scale of one to five stars. Leave a quick comment if you'd like, but it's so encouraging for us. It not only gives us direction of where we want to go, but it's also a simple encouragement. It keeps us going on. Speaking of reviews, here is this week's review of the week by Claire K. AGL. She said, this podcast has absolutely changed my life. I was lucky to hear about this show somehow right around its creation, and now I so excitedly anticipate each new episode. Mary Scott and Rachel are truly doing kingdom work and are championing the spiritual growth of each listener. I've listen so much about what it means to be authentic and vulnerable. How to speak my truth does not make me weak. I feel so refreshed, encouraged, and armed with truth after each episode, ready to tackle anything. I look up to Mary Scott and Rachel so much and feel like I consider them friends, even though they don't know me. I hope to be real life friends one day. Thank y'all so much for this awesome gift and keep it up. Thank you, Claire, so much. That is so kind. And yes, of course, we're friends. Thank you guys so much. And we'll see you next week.